And we're live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you inky savages are joining us for episode number 130 of the Penboy Roy Pentertainment Podcast. This week was really exciting and fun. Big reason why is because we have a guest. His name is Mihal Kulka, and he is the owner of Tana Marie Studios. This guy is very interesting. He's got a boatload of information, some controversial, which I really enjoyed. Now, stick around for the whole episode, but before we get to the episode, I want to talk to you about the sponsorships, please. Thank you, guys and girls, everybody out there listening and supporting the franchise and empire that is the Pentertainment Studios by making purchases at the Gold Spot affiliate link that is found in the description of the podcast. Please check it out. Every purchase helps out this show and keeps the lights on. Also, make sure you check out, like I said, the link, the affiliate link in the description. And also make sure you also try to use coupon code ROY at checkout for an additional discount on almost all the products on the Gold Spot website with exclusions applying with some snooty brands that don't let you discount stuff. I'm just making fun. They're not snooty. They're just really, they just got a really tight tight grip on their pricing and stuff but please try it anyway because you never know what you can save on you can save lots of money i think a lot of people can attest to that i also want to talk about luxury brands of america the distributors for both banu and waldman they distribute a lot of other things too but i'm mentioning banu and waldman because banu and waldman both have recent launches of some pretty cool pens and both are relevant to the affiliate link in the description below. Let's first talk about the Banu Dream Pen and Four Leaf Clover. They are here. As usual with the talismans, each pen has the namesake material of each pen incorporated into the resin of the pen, thus giving you folklore powers that has been associated with that material in days of your get them now so if you look at the banu dream pen four leaf clover and dream bean pen excuse me the banu dream bean and four leaf clover the talisman has four leaf clovers in it and the dream bean has african dream bean dream beans. yeah so apparently these african dream beans trip you out but please do not grind up or try to separate the dream bean from your pen and snort it, it will not work. No one no. is condoning or endorsing you that. You ruin a pen, it won't be right. present. Mm-hmm. Right, it won't be present. And you're not, gonna, you're not gonna get any trip off of it anyway. So, Also, the Waldman Tangos are now at goldspot.com. Check them out using the affiliate link below. And that's right, all the sexy tango imaginations are now at Goldspot. So do yourself a favor and get one. You won't be disappointed. That, that includes dark teal North American exclusive. That includes the dark teal North American exclusive. And just so you know, for both pens that we talked about in this sponsorship read, coupon code Roy does work. So make sure you check them out. The Waldman Tangos are really cool. They're made of sterling silver. They got these really cool etchings in it throughout the whole body of the pen. It's stamped with 92.5, meaning the amount of silver. Now, even though it says 92.5, be advised that it's actually 93.5. They just don't say it. So you get a lot more silver and more bang for your buck. Lastly, 
Don't forget to check out my good friend Neil and his coffee company over at brlcoffeeco.com. He has some of the best, speaking of beans, beans for coffee on the market. Now you can, dr- and you can I, grind up his beans, right? Right. Grind up like his beans. Encouraged. I don't suggest snorting. Right. It's encouraged. Yeah, Grind up those beans and make sure you use coupon code ROY at checkout for discounts on all products across the entire brlcoffeeco.com website. There are no exclusions applying. Now, before we get started with this week's episode of the podcast, I want to give you guys a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not scripted and therefore will contain potty mouth words, both from Tom, Michal, and myself, mostly from me and Michal, not really from Tom. But before warned, you have been warned. Now, on to the podcast. The Pet Boy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Stage seven. What's going on, everybody? Thanks again for joining us. And today we have a special guest. And his name is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michal, right? Michal, actually. Michal. Michal. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Michal Kulka, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, Michal Kulka reached out to me through Instagram (laughs) because we did an episode, the odd oink and I, we did an episode. And during this episode, what had happened was, well, what happened was we were talking about Yerushi Lacquer and we had a lot of questions about Yerushi Lacquer and Miha was sitting there thinking to himself, wow, these guys are stupid. They don't know shit about (laughs) Yerushi. Like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? So he reached out to me and he said, in sum and substance, you guys got some things right, but I feel compelled to give you some more information. And he started giving me some information on Yerushi Lacquer, which I find fascinating. So I asked him to be on the show and he graciously agreed. So Michal, thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of the Pentertainment Podcast. Tom and I are very happy to have you because you are apparently an expert in Yerushi Lacquer, correct? Welcome. It's a great pleasure to be here and to be invited. Thank you, guys. And, well, I'm, I consider myself still a student, a learner, because it's a very long uh, journey. So not an expert, not a master, but I know something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more than, you know more than most. Right. Yeah. And you know so much that you are actually a legitimate fountain pen maker using yep. Yerushi lacquer. Alrighty, cool. Exactly. So can you can you just tell everybody real quick before we get started, shameless plug time, tell us about your business, where they can see your studio. Uh, the studio itself is difficult to see because it's in my flat in Warsaw. So just a very narrow, very elite group of customers come here <laughs> and friends, mm-hmm. but they can see everything on Instagram because I post almost every pen on Instagram and some of them on my website, but just search for Tamenuri Studio on Instagram and you get it. So it's pretty easy to okay. find. And I think it's even, you can even search it by just Tamenuri Urushi or something like that. And you, you, you should find one of my pens somewhere, but Tamenuri Studio okay. is my tag on, on, on Instagram and I mostly post pens, but sometimes I post the making of process and some trivia about Urushi and some short uh, videos or stories on how some things are made or some, even the fuck ups I make uh, with, with lacquering. So. Okay. So your company is called 
Tamanuri Studio. So for everybody who is listening and watching, that's spelled T-A-M-E-N-U-R-I and then studio, common yeah. spelling. You can find him on Instagram. Exactly. And he makes some pretty spanking, badass-looking, gorgeous fountain pens with Yurushi <laughs> lacquer. So uh, I got to be honest, I wasn't aware of your studio and your pen-making business before you reached out to me. And I want to know a little bit about your past. How is it you got into Yurushi Lacquer, or rather, let's one step before that. How is it that you even got into fountain pens? How did you get into Yurushi Lacquer? What kind of training have you had with Yurushi Lacquer? And t tell us about how you just got into it. Okay. Uh, calling uh, Tamanui Studio a company is a bit of a stretch because it's a one-man show. So uh, it's just me, no, no other people. So it's just... Uh, a big word company, but okay, it's a studio. Cool. So uh, I started using fountain pens a very long time ago because it was primary school, I think. And I think in some grades, like second, third grade, it was compulsory to use a fountain pen in this time. And it was almost for sure it was one of the hero pens. So the Chinese knockoffs of uh, Parker 51. And mm -hmm. uh, I used uh, several of them because they were not super uh, uh, super solid and they got broke and in very fast especially the nibs which were made from I don't know aluminum or something like that <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was my first uh, experience with fountain with fountain pens then uh, it was on and off because I used this uh, I, I I had off at secondary school and I used them again at uh, the university and because you can write uh, much longer with fountain pen. So I decided to use mm -hmm. fountain pen for note taking. Uh, we, we had some very early, very heavy laptops then, so I didn't use them for note taking because I'm, I'm, I'm 46, so my university was quite a long time ago. And uh, I used fountain pen for note taking because I could write with fountain pen much, much longer without mm -hmm. uh, tired hand or something like that right uh, in comparison with, with uh, yes yes without uh, with comparison with a uh, ballpoint and then it was off again and uh, when during my career because I switched careers a lot maybe not careers before this but I used to be a guy in a suit I used to be a guy in a mm. suit in a expensive bespoke shoes and and uh, and I was working in banks and uh, consulting and in marketing and uh, I was uh, for the last like 15 years I was on board on several different companies and management board and including uh, bank subsidiaries or something like that and I even had my own uh, legal uh, firm for so like five years I was a co-owner of it. So it was pretty different from what I do now because I dropped everything. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I will get back to this, but it, during this career, I'm, I, I made myself a present from time to time. To time. So I, when I closed the deal or finished successfully some project, I tended to buy myself a gift, buy myself a present. And uh, some of them were fountain pens. Mm -hmm. and, uh, First, and probably the most expensive then, it was a Grafon Faber-Castell uh, classic Guiloche, so black mm. and, and, and chrome and heavy and nice nib. And I was like convinced that it's like a top of the tops and uh, it was super cool. And I used it for like two months and put it in the drawer and forgot about it. 
Uh, and it happened several times later. Uh, but when my son, uh, who is now 17, uh, mm. had some struggles with writing and his handwriting was horrible and uh, his primary school teacher started pressuring him to do something with that, I decided to buy him some deep, deep nibs, like deep pens and just to train his hand, just to show him something new, show him some calligraphy, some training drills, stuff like this. And I, I just bought him a bottle of, of ink and some nibs and the holder, I showed him some stuff. He started writing. I took the other holder and the nib, put it on, started writing and wow, it's so nice. Mm -hmm. I had so much pleasure from writing with the nib. I, I immediately went to my drawer. I found the, the uh, fabric, uh, Grafton Faber-Castell. I cleaned it. I inked it. I went to YouTube and checked how to straighten the nib and, and to make it more wet. And that's, that's, that was the moment I started learning the vocabulary again maybe because I, I used fountain pens, but I didn't know nothing. I could not, mm -hmm. I didn't know that I can fix the nib myself or make pen wetter or, or, or drier, or there are different types of things and so on. And so I didn't know anything. So I just, as usual, typed fountain pens in, in YouTube. How, how old was your son at this point in time? It was five or fifth or sixth grade, fifth grade or fourth grade. So he was about nine. Like slightly later, maybe 10, something like that, okay. something like that. It was, it was like six, seven years ago, more or less. Uh, I, I searched YouTube. I found some mostly guys, uh, some of them funny, some of them pretty stiff and, and upright, but uh, most of them very uh, resourceful. And it was Stephen Brown, of course, one of the first, uh, Goulet, uh, of course, the whole channel and, and some other guys, uh, Feedboot and, and some more less known, uh, or, or more ephemeric uh, channels. And I started digging, uh, and, uh, digging what later appeared to be a very deep and extremely complicated rabbit hole. Uh, which led sure. me to some more rabbit holes, as you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was one pen and another and another and then 60 of them and then 100 of fountain pens. And then the very important point of bought the first Nakaya. I ordered the Nakaya and I waited mm -hmm. for it several months. I got my uh, pen, which was a grail pen for me then. It was Nakaya Decapot in Kurota Menuri and I was lost because yeah. I, I saw a Rushi pen before uh, and, and I touched them, but I never had the opportunity to use them for a longer time. I got this Nakaya and the first thing I like sat for an hour and I was watching at it. I was like turning it in my hands and, and, and just was like flabbergasted with the finish. Mm -hmm. It was so incredible. Something completely different from from what I and I at this moment I had a lot of nice pens and some of them were more expensive than this Nakaya. I had like Pelican Toledo and 900 Toledo. I had several Montblancs. I had a lot of nice pens, but still the Nakaya blew me away. Mm -hmm. And uh, not the shape, not the uh, not the wave of the pen, not even the nib, because I had a lot of platinum pens and it uh, the nibs are very similar. It was tuned perfectly but at this moment i knew how to tune nibs because mm -hmm. i learned also from youtube 
how to how to tune nibs then i learned how to grind them and then i i started grinding them and i like had my dremel set up for like changing the shape of the nib tip and i was uh, making myself the stuff can i can i stop you for one second just because i want to just get into story so you used fountain so just to recap a little bit you used fountain pens since you were a kid in school and you put it down for a while then you went to college you picked it back up again because you can write more in college, which is really, I think, a great thing because for me, it's the same thing. Whenever I'm studying for long periods of time, I use fountain pens. Then after college, you, you got into a suit and tie business where you had to, where you were just wearing a suit every day and nice shoes. And then when you said that when your son was in about fifth or sixth grade, his handwriting was suffering. So you had to, you tried to get him using dip pens to improve yeah. his handwriting, which maybe, caused maybe you not to... using, yeah, just, just for training, not using dip mm-hmm. pens for every day because it's impossible, but for training. Right, you right. can't carry. Yeah. And then this is the crucial point, I think, in the story because, because your son needed to improve his handwriting, you decided the solution is to use a dip pen, which I think is fantastic. And then now, now this is what kind of caused the rebirth of you getting yeah, back into fountain exactly. pens. So exactly. this was about seven or eight years ago. So you're about 37, 38 years old, right? At that time yes, when your son was... Yeah, so, more or less. So from, 30, from the age of 37 till now, at what point was it that you got the Nakaya? How many years ago was this? It was like two years later. Two years later, so, so you're 39. Maybe. And then you start... I, I may be not very precise with those dates because it's... No, it's, I mean, just approximately. Like, just... more or less. Like, I started collecting pens. I started using mm-hmm. them a lot, promoting them among my friends also because I, at some moment, I, I was so fascinated how how, mm-hmm. how many things are influenced by writing, by handwriting. Not not mm-hmm. only with fountain pen. Fountain pen is very pleasurable tool to use because it brings something more when sure. just being at all. Uh, if, if you are a can- carpenter, you prefer to use nice Japanese um, saw to, mm-hmm. to, to just any saw uh, because it's nicer. It's, 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 it's right. built better. It's, uh, it has something more to it than just the tool. That's why fountain pens. But the other, the other very important aspect of fountain pen and writing and cursive writing as, especially is that I noticed that it improves a lot of different things. It influences a lot of different things. For example, it improves memory. I didn't notice it uh, during my university, college and the university days, because uh, it was obvious that I'm taking notes with my hand. But mm-hmm. for last 20 years, I was, I was taking notes on the computer or my iPhone or, or, or tablet. And suddenly I started writing and I remembered everything. And mm-hmm. I could my... Could, I, I, I started to be able to put my thoughts much better in, in sentences and in, in, in stories than before. And whatever I wrote uh, as a note, I remembered it much better. And mm-hmm. I started digging and uh, there are very solid uh, uh, scientific papers on that, that writing, especially cursive writing, improves re- uh, uh, memory improves uh, well, that's, how that's incredibly remember of what we write. That's really interesting. So you said that there are scientific documentation that writing improves yeah. memories and you said especially Absolutely. cursive. 
has there been any documents written that if you write in cursive, you remember better versus print? Exactly. Yeah, really? you, you remember better than you when you write compared to typing. Right. And this, writing, yeah, that we understand. Blocks or 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 or, or blocks or a type typed letters like how how do they call them? blocks block letters? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, block and letters. Block letters and cursive. Cursive is much better. I, I cannot really? say exact percentage, but but yes, the, like the, like uh, cursive, especially with uh, flow, like with joining letters together, wow. is, is much more effective in in supporting uh, uh, how do you call it? Uh, okay, just the memory. Uh, That's I was surprised. incredible. I, I never, I, I had never heard that before. That's really cool. Tom, look look that up. See if you can look that up. Cursive versus print writing if it improves memory because that's just that's a concept that I've never heard before and I'm glad that you brought it to my attention because that's I mean me personally try I Google, prefer to write Google Scholar Google yeah. Scholar's uh, search for scientific papers that is it incredible should be somewhere there. information yeah I think that's fantastic but then what about cultures that don't have script like Korean I, no idea. Japanese. No idea. I did not yeah. dip uh, so 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 dig so deep because it was it was well it was enough for me just to know that it works. It was mm-hmm. not maybe the, the most important topic because it, it it was like fun for me right. and it was just nice nice side effect. Okay. Uh, Let me ask you something side, nice... really quick. Yeah. Do you, does Polish handwriting have a print and script version or is it just print? Yes. How... Yes. yes. They it, have both a... print and script. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not familiar with the writing. Very several, very many different styles of script uh, and writing, and most of them are based on some uh, on English or in German. Mm. So, so some styles of writing are based on on German, and some mm. of English, and some of on some uh, like medieval styles of writing. So there are a lot of different types. At schools, oh, I didn't uh, know that. What is, Taught in schools is, is is pretty internationally used, but we have mm. a different uh, alphabet because we have some letters with those dashes uh, and 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 dots and dashes uh, and mm. different endings. So, like in French or in German, but uh, it's not a huge difference because it's it's mm-hmm. still an A with some right. additional like the shape. That's it. So, so writing in Polish is slightly more difficult than in English because it, it adds some move, movements. Some, some, some. Mm. Uh, you have to break the line much more often to, 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 to write some letters, but it's basically the same. Can I ask you if you speak any other languages besides English and Polish? I understand German pretty well, so ich spreche Deutsch ein bisschen, and that's it. I used to speak Russian very well because it was compulsory mm-hmm. at primary school because. During my primary school, Poland was still a communist country, and we, we learned Russian because we had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since then, I, I, I'm not learning it and almost not using it. But during this uh, crisis recently, uh, uh, with uh, refugees from Ukraine coming to Poland uh, since uh, Russia attacked Ukraine, and there were a lot of them, and we helped. I, I stopped working for like several weeks just to just to concentrate on helping uh, people, and we donated our flat and, and money and so on to them. And I was forced to try my Russian, and I could understand a lot both both mm-hmm. Ukrainian and Russian. It's weird, but on daily basis, I use English. 
because of my work, uh, what I do, and and I used English for a long time. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's uh, it's good enough to 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 communicate on almost any level, especially business it's, level. It's actually much better than Roy's English, so just uh, certainly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's well, got. Can I great. ask? But I got good words. Let me ask, mm. uh, if I if I may. How come you speak German? I learned at school. I, I chose because we had uh, since uh, secondary school we had uh, compulsory two languages. So I chose English mm. and German as the second language, okay. third actually. So English was my second language and German my third, and I continued during my college and university. Uh, and and uh, but then I dropped it, and I was not using it. But I still understand a lot. I it will be probably difficult to write, but I read more or less pretty well some mm. basic text in German and I understand German. Mm. How difficult was it to learn English for you? Yeah, initially it was difficult, but then my teacher at secondary school decided that uh, she wants me to, uh, well, she tricked me actually to join the group of volunteers to American Peace Corps people who came to Poland for they, they came here young people like from colleges and they like they were for one month in Poland uh, mm -hmm. uh, teaching people English. Uh, but she she appointed me uh, or tricked me to become a volunteer to them to take care of them. So I had mm -hmm. lessons with them, but I also was a volunteer to help them to, to, to get around. So I, I started my day for a whole week, I start, for a whole month. I started my day at like 7. I started speaking English at 7.30 and never stopped until late night uh, partying. Mm -hmm. with. So it was like a deep immersion, uh, total immersion in English for sure. one month. And I jumped several, several levels then. So I came back yeah. the next year uh, to school and I was on a completely different level and I was learning much faster. I, I broke the barrier in speaking. I broke the, uh, several, there, there are several barriers learning uh, any language. And if you break through them, it, it speeds up your learning. And I think uh, during this month, right. I, I, I broke several of them. But since then, I, I was using English on and off almost all the time. So, so university, a lot of a lot of papers were in English, and then work one. Like I, my work was always connected somehow with internet. So internet mm -hmm. is, is language of internet is English, and always was. It, it's not now, maybe in every country, but still all the basic stuff is in English, and then everything deep down is in English. Programming is in English. Everything is in English. So it's a, it's in lingua franca of modern world uh, until Chinese will take over someday, maybe. <laughs> so, you know, I have a funny story just to share with you. When yeah. I first met my wife back, back, back in college, she had just come to America. She didn't speak any English and I didn't speak any Korean, but she, we became, she was my best friend back in the early days of school and communication was a little difficult. So we both had to learn each other's language in order to communicate. She had to learn English and I had to learn Korean. Let me, and now she speaks very fluently. If you ever hear her talk, she, she speaks 100% fluently. She just has a slight accent and it's very slight at this point in time. Do you think that when learning another language, do you think the best way to learn another language is be that immersed the way you were with the American Peace Corps? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, how much? At some moment, it's it's the best way to break through those barriers to to make a mm-hmm. jump is to is to be totally immersed, but uh, but use it. It's it's not enough mm-hmm. to be immersed. Like I, one of my teachers said that uh, one of the best ways to learn the language is to meet the love your, love of your wife, not speaking your language. Uh, mm-hmm. So it it happened to you some in some way. So you 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 met sure. your partner and you were forced to learn her the language, and she was forced to learn your language and and uh, and the language of the country she lives in. But my partner, for mm-hmm. example, she speaks fluent French, both okay. uh, both Polish and French. Her first language is Polish. Her second language is French. But uh, mm-hmm. French are convinced that it's the other way around. They are convinced that that uh, that she's native French because she's she's a teacher and translator, and she speaks probably better French than Polish. And she mm-hmm. speaks also English, but her sister, on the other hand, her partner is French, uh, but he comes from uh, Caribbean, so she speaks Polish, he speaks French, they speak to each other in English because, because they never, never learned each other languages, and mm-hmm. uh, do- their daughter speaks four languages because she speaks English, Polish, French, and uh, Creole. Mm-hmm. So the traditional language of, of, of the, her father from Caribbean. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's pretty crazy because she switches between those languages. She's like five or something like that. She's like four. <laughs> and she switches uh, from, from one language to another depending on the situation. So when mm-hmm. she's angry, she's speaking in a different language. When she talks to, to, to her peers, she speaks in Polish. When she talks to her mother, she speaks in Polish or English. And it's, it's, it's completely crazy because if you're an outsider to this situation, you, you get lost. Right. Uh, even if you could switch languages mid-sentence, which yes. is completely crazy. You, you know, it's also the, a big deal. Like my wife now, there was a point in time when she was not completely fluent in English. And when she would get mad, she'd just start going off on me in Korean. And then yeah. that's okay because I could always be like, oh, you're talking too fast. I don't understand what you're saying. Sorry. But now she's fluent in both to the point where if I say I don't understand something, she'll just switch over to English and say the exact same thing. So I don't play that getting game anymore. Angry because... in a foreign, getting angry in a foreign language and, and, and like getting furious in a foreign language, losing yourself yeah. in a foreign language means that you mm-hmm. are thinking in this language. And it's cool. Yes. It's great. Yeah. But the thing is now I can't play that game of pretending like I don't understand because Sorry. if she's mad at me, if she's mad at me in <laughs> Korean and then I say I don't understand, she'll just say it in English and now I got to listen to the same thing twice in two different languages. So I kind of just did it to myself, got in trouble twice. But I think it's Sorry. just very interesting about the 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 languages that that you learn because from my from my perspective I feel like learning another language is extremely difficult, but then like when I te- speak to someone like like yourself, mm-hmm. who knows multiple languages, no, it seems definitely. as though it's it's easier. Three is multiple. <laughs> I think yeah, okay. I think it's easier for you to learn another learn English than it is for me who yes. speaks English to learn just any other language. Which is which is interesting yes. because you're you're not the first person from I know from Poland that speaks multiple yeah. languages. Uh, but it's can we just? It's not very popular around the world. So you get to get around the world and to, to, to know people around the world, you need to learn several languages, at least English. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely a must uh, to, to learn English. For example, sure. I know a lot of people from France who, who are not keen on learning and a lot of languages, but from mm-hmm. Spain, it's much better. They, they learn much more languages and much faster and they speak much better languages, other languages mm-hmm. than their own, their mother tongue. But English and, and American tend to 
like to 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 base on this the English is lingua franca and the, you can use English anywhere. So if you, mm -hmm. if your if your mother tongue is English, you have no real uh, incentive to learn a lot of other languages unless you want that's, to read uh, Marquez, yeah, yeah, Marquez in in original or something like this. Uh, and it's fun. It's it's great to to to, to learn to read the literature in the language it was written in. It's it's mm -hmm. super cool. It's it's I a lot of fun. I really wish that um, I actually had that immersion experience because when I went to Germany back in 2019, I actually did try for a good couple months beforehand to pick up on the German language. Uh, I used Duolingo. It's an app uh, to mm. learn some very basic. Not a fan of. Yeah, like the basic nouns and things. Yeah. So that way I'm not completely lost if, you know, I, I start to see signs or, you know, be able to get at least comfortable with, with some of the concepts involved. But the thing is, the moment that you step off the plane, everybody in Germany pretty much speaks English. Yeah. So there was really no, no, you know, other than reading some signs here and there and, and looking in a magazine and being able to spot some things I understand. It really wasn't being used. That muscle, no. the, the, that mem that learning, that muscle in my head is not being used. Exactly. It depends where and when, because uh, mm -hmm. if you are going to study in Germany, there are some universities which which requ require uh, German. Some of them don't. And for example, in in Holland, you you get by learning using just just English, and it's okay. Everybody speaks English in Holland. If, if they want to, like ninety percent of this population speaks English. Uh, so, so there. Are, but in France, learn, knowing and speaking French, and especially understanding French, is is very useful. Much more useful mm -hmm. than, than than German in Germany. Uh, from my experience, of course. Maybe maybe mm -hmm. it's it's not true, but it's it's my opinion. So, so I want to actually dial back, and I want to talk about your training when it comes to Yurushi. So, like we said. You were about 37 years old when you got back into the fountain pen business. When did you start training in Yurushi? How did you start going about learning Yurushi and whatnot? Uh, after I bought this Nakaya, I got hooked and I got interested in Yurushi and I started learning and searching for information. What's that? Okay. How it's made? Uh, like usual thing. I, I mm -hmm. tend to dig uh, very deeply in the stuff I, I'm fascinated, in, fascinated with. Mm -hmm. And the best example is that I, I saw on a school trip to France, I saw a Lotus Super 7, like a car from 50s. Mm. Uh, it's a, it was designed by Colin Chapman. It's a, it looks like, a, like imagine the uh, 50s Formula One car, something like that. So very, very low, naked, naked wheels, just a search Lotus Super 7. Uh, and I was fascinated by this, uh, and I, I learned that it's possible to build it yourself. There are some mm -hmm. crazy people around the world who make such cars themselves, and I did it. So I just was gathering information for several years, and uh, then I was waiting for a good moment, and one of my contracts was, was uh, finalized, and I decided not to start another, just to take four months break, and mm -hmm. I, it was a great moment because I usually had either time or money, uh, and you need both to build a car. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the moment I had both, and uh, I was just after the divorce, so it was like a perfect moment to do something with myself other than working uh, normally. Mm -hmm. So I built a car. I, I, I built a car from scratch, and it was 
like crazy fast and it was one of the best experiences in my life. But I learned everything on YouTube. So I was convinced mm. that YouTube is a magical thing. And you want to build a, a car, just go to YouTube and write how to build a car. Uh, I want uh -huh. to rebuild the engine. You just go to YouTube and type how to rebuild an engine, how to make origami, how to mm -hmm. fix an iPhone, how to straighten the nip, uh, how to do whatever, how to, how to do carpentry, how to like, forge a katana. If you want to learn forging katanas, like knives, those uh, swords, you can learn uh -huh. it on YouTube. You can get everything on YouTube. And mm -hmm. I was absolutely convinced that it will exactly the same will happen with Urushi. So I went to YouTube mm -hmm. and typed Urushi how to. Mm -hmm. eh, nothing. Like absolutely zero results. It was, uh -huh. it was four, five years ago, five, well, something like that, maybe six, something like that. Uh, zero results. Okay, mm -hmm. Google Translate. I translated how to Urushi or something like that to Japanese. I typed it in, you, in YouTube, uh, almost zero results. There were some videos, almost. but on, mm -hmm. on cultural aspect, like people, they were like five per second shot of people gathering Kurushi from the trees and fast forward to ready-made stuff uh, like bowls uh, lacquered with Kurushi. What the fuck? Why? <laughs> it's impossible. You can learn how to build an atomic bomb on YouTube. Why you can't uh -huh. learn how to make Urushi? And it was, it's, right. I started digging, I started learning, searching for information. It was a great, great website by one of uh, very rare species, so European Urushi artist, uh, Martin Pauli. He gathered a lot of uh, interesting materials on his, on his website. And I found a uh, PhD thesis from 1896 uh, or something like that. that I'm sorry, you, you found a what? It, yes, it was the, the PhD thesis, like oh, a thesis. PhD okay. paper. Uh, right. The guy, he was American, but he, he wrote this paper for at uh, some of the British universities. I don't remember which was Oxford or, 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 or Cambridge. And he wrote, uh, he went to Japan for several years. He learned about Urushi. And he wrote the scientific paper on Urushi, but from more from the physical and chemist's point of view, like phys physicist and chemist's point of view. But he included some information on the process. And it was mm, the start. I'm sorry. Can I just yeah? ask you a quick question? You're saying that this guy wrote a PhD thesis on Urushi from a, a, chemistry, a chemistry and physicist point of view. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yes, okay. Urushi, how is the, how is that how is that point of view different from what is the other point of view? So you're saying there's two point of views. Can you explain the differences between the uh, two? Maybe maybe not. There are two point of views. You can treat Urushi as a as it is. So there is a lacquer, and you get the, from your teacher or your master information that it's a lacquer. It can behave this way, and then it may behave this way, and you. Mm -hmm. To, to, to cure it faster, you increase the humidity, and to cure it slower, you, you decrease the humidity, go. And like, learn by doing it, like feel it. Uh, mm -hmm. My mind is more engineer's approach. I, I deconstruct okay. things. I, I use, I need to, if I understand something, I remember it. I, I, okay. I, I, I know how to do things through understanding them, not just learning. Uh, mm -hmm. Not just like getting the information as it is, but I need to put in some 
context and in some relations one to one with each other. So from my point of view, the most important thing was to understand Urushi. What is Urushi? What's, what's, how, how this mechanism of, of uh, I, I learned that it's a polymer. So there is some kind of a polymerization and two, two, actually two types of polymerization going on in Urushi and, and how it works and uh, uh, what, what is in, uh, how it's influenced by different factors, not only the humidity and temperature, but also uh, different additives to Urushi and uh, how Urushi from different regions differ from one from another. And it's, all, it's everything broken down to the, to the chemical level. Are you talking about covalency, like nonpolar covalent and polar covalent bondage between molecules uh, and stuff? I, I did not went so deep because from, from my point, of, I'm not a chemist. Yes. So uh -huh. I, I need to understand the process and how mm. it's influenced by factors. But to the level, uh, uh, my other knowledge brings something to the table. So mm -hmm. getting to the, to the molecular level, would not bring much to my understanding of Rush. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, probably I could go deeper because uh, that's, that's, that's what I do. I learn much more than I actually need a lot uh, often, but not mm. in this case. I, I probably know more about the pro chemical process in Urushi than most Urushi craftsmen and artists in Japan because mm -hmm. they just do not need it. Because they mm -hmm. learned Urushi from their father and from their grandmother. The process, but you're focused yes. on the actual... Yes, but, but that's the way my mind works. So, so I, I understand the process through understanding it, not just mm -hmm. seeing it and remembering it, but through mm -hmm. understanding it. Through I, 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 I know why Urushi behaves this way or another way, and I can... Uh, I, I know sometimes what will happen if I do something I have never done before, because I understand the process better. Mm -hmm. uh, I do not so have to try what... to... You know, can you have a hypothesis. Can you explain the process that you have an understanding of that is different from a traditional, let's say, less scientific approach? It's not very different. Just I started from a different point. So they learn mm -hmm. Urushi more in a natural way. So probably in Japan, as from what I know, the traditional way of learning Urushi, you learn it from your father and grandfather. Mm -hmm. Because it was most crafts in Japan were kept in the family, and mm -hmm. you you might learn it from another master if you if you started mm -hmm. something new or or, or 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 went to this business or, or craft from outside, so you could have another master. But you started by sweeping the floor in the studio and observing mm -hmm. other people work. And there you cleaned stuff, and then you are like sanding uh, rough layers, layers of, of, of base Urushi and then you are allowed to put on your first layer of Urushi uh, mm. on the vessel. Uh, but what they tend to, in many studios in Japan, especially in Vajima, is to specialize. So there are people who are responsible only for preparing the, the base, base for Urushi. So for making wooden or ebonite objects and preparing them for Urushi like creating the primer layer. Uh, so like getting, they... getting, getting the Arushi from like the source, like getting it from trees and stuff. No. Uh, it's, no. it's, it's a completely different story. And, and all, people who lacquer with Urushi very seldom collect Urushi and process Urushi oh. themselves. Okay. Those are two completely different crafts. Collecting Urushi from the tree is done by 
specialized people, then processing Kurushi is done by specialized people, and then a whole the lacquering is done by another group of people. And in some regions, oh, I didn't know those that. people lacquering are even more specialized. So some of them uh-huh. make the primal layers, some of them make the, uh, the, those layers we can see, some of them make only sanding and polishing, and some of them only make maquillage, and some other of them make only chinking. So, all, so they are all specialized. In other regions, so basically... they are less specialized, and they mm, go okay. from from primer to the end. I see. So there's actually there's actually I didn't realize this, which is really fascinating for me. When it comes to Yurushi, it's there's a process for collection, there's a process for mixing it all up, and then there's a process for lacquering it. And they're yes. all separate people in typical cases. Yes. That's Especially pretty interesting. That most Urushi actually right now comes from China, not from Japan. And mm. uh, so Urushi is collected in China, like 95% of Urushi on the market, uh, Japanese market. And we take Urushi from Japanese market mostly. Uh, it's from China. Not Has from it China. always been like that? Or was no, there a time no. when it was... No. Uh, when did that uh, change? Up to 50s, uh, there are a lot of uh, there is a lot of urushi trees and a lot of uh, toxicodendron trees in Japan, and urushi was harvested and, and collected in in Japan a lot. But during the modernization of Japan, and it was very fast and brutal modernization, and uh, the, especially the 70s and 80s were brutal. Like mm-hmm. uh, like the Japan we know from the movies disappeared in like 10 years. It was like it was substituted by super modern country overnight almost mm, like in the yeah. 10 years in the history of the country it's like a just like that uh, so it was super fast and a lot of uh, traditional crafts uh, maybe were not lost but they become so very very unpopular and people mm. young people especially were not interested in pursuing the career in in in, in lacquering bowls why mm-hmm. what for we we want to work for toyota for or for some other high-tech, uh, super fast-growing companies and move from rural areas to the cities. That's why we have like the, one of the biggest agglomerations in the world is Tokyo. And, and, and uh, the population of Japan grew like extremely fast in this, in this, in this uh, period. And people went to cities. And yeah, it's impossible it's... To, to have like extensive uh, craft in, in the city. It's a typically rural uh, craft because you need to so be because of the modernization and industrialization of Japan throughout 1950 yeah. and 1970, harvesting of Yurushi stopped because I guess the trees Suffered were getting cut a down. Lot. Suffered a lot. So it was like like you reduced by like like at least uh, tenfold. Oh wow, that's a lot. So now yeah. it's the harvesting comes mostly from China. Is there a difference between the Yarushi but, that's collected from but, China versus China? One thing in uh, in Japan late nineties, early to early two thousand, uh, there was a initiative from the Japanese government to revive some traditional crafts, and it's not only Yarushi, but it's also oh. a lot of different other crafts, some woodworking and and uh, blacksmithing and much more mm-hmm. of them. There are a lot of different crafts in Japan and there was a yeah. push, the initiative to, to, to revive them and to promote them uh, and to promote using them. And uh, the, the Rushi in Japan traditionally is used uh, in uh, shrines. In uh, those... Uh, shrine is a Shinto uh, in Shintoism and Buddhism, uh, the temple. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the Buddhist temple and, and Shinto, Shinto shrines or Urushi uh, is used extensively in them, including whole buildings lacquered with Urushi, wow. like huge areas, the floors and uh, the columns and even the roofs lacquered with Urushi, uh, usually mm -hmm. red or, or, or black. And uh, the, one of the most important moves was to approve for these historical buildings only Japanese harvested urushi to be used on renovation. And it revived harvesting urushi in Japan. Mm -hmm. Because before that, it was like, it was slowing so, in, in, in so uh, fast uh, uh, rate that it would disappear in just 10 years, 10 mm -hmm. more years. They stopped it somehow but... and they revived it to, to, to the some level. But right. still, most urushi comes from China. And right. it's processed. It's processed in Japan. So they import raw urushi from Japan, from China to Japan, mm -hmm. and it's processed in Japan. So we have like uh, collecting urushi, processing, and processing. There are at least two important processes: so filtering, and then uh, two. I, I will I will not go into super details uh, with this because it will it will be too complicated. I think there are several mm -hmm. processes refine the urushi and then sometimes add color, change it to black or make it more transparent or mm -hmm. they add oil, drying oil to, to make it glossy and so on. There are at, at least, I personally have 60 types of urushi right mm -hmm. now, like so, uh, around wow. seven kilo, kilograms of urushi right now in 60 different types wow. and colors. So and, and at, at, when you get the urushi into your studio, what form mm -hmm. is it and how much processing do you do or where are I you buy in that whole? I buy I'm processed sorry? Rushi. I okay. buy Rushi already processed to my needs. Initially, okay. I was buying what was offered. So I went to Watanabe Shoten. It was the first shop I found in Japan. It was pretty difficult to find it at first. It was the only shop with a website in English and with sales to, to overseas. I found it and I ordered several tubes like uh, it was I can show you it's it's just like a small box and a tube inside. That's it. How this and that's, that's how that's Urushi. Wow. It's Urushi. It, it looks like and it looks like toothpaste. It's already processed. Yes, because it's the same. It's the same uh, tube like a uh, toothpaste. Uh, well, that's really I, interesting. I can we go back tubes. to let me see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I have to transfer Urushi to, to different containers. So I okay. use my own tubes, much smaller. Oh, I see. And sometimes seven milliliter containers just, for example, I mix different types of Urushi or my, mix my mm -hmm. own pigments. Or mm -hmm. I make Urushi, uh, be, change it to faster or slower Urushi. I can make Urushi mm -hmm. to, to, to polymerize faster or slower to be more viscous or less viscous uh, by mixing mm -hmm. it pro with different ingredients and, and, and different types of urushi with each other and I, to, to get what I really need for, for, for the work uh, I'm, I have in mind. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, and I initially bought urushi, uh, it was, which was offered by the shops, but then I discovered more suppliers. Uh, I found people who spoke at least some English uh, on the level I could uh, I could communicate with them and I convinced them to, to sell me Urushi and I put mm. down several orders and once I reached like several hundred thousand yen spent in Japan 
some of them, especially one of them first was first proposed, offered me to make Urushi for me. So mm -hmm. he said, well, like, uh, Michal San, just tell me what you need, what viscosity, uh, how fast it should be, uh, what gloss it should have, and I will do Urushi for your needs. And he started making nice. Urushi for me. And it was a breakthrough for me because I, I understood that it's, the, the possibilities are even wider. And mm. it's much easier to work with Urushi, which is made exactly for what I need. And, yeah, so you're and customizing it, it and getting... Yes, yes. It was a very slow so, process to... Right. To, to... Now, going back to your training and your developing skills for Urushi Lacquer, and the reason why I ask and the reason why I'm so fascinated is, it, to me, from my perspective, someone like you is kind of like the mixed martial artist of Yerushi Lacquer. And what I mean is like, for example, like some people, they spend their entire lives learning, I don't know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and then, or, or boxers. They spend years, like 20 years training and then they become a professional boxer. But in mixed martial arts, a person who just gets inspired and learns boxing, wrestling, and some ground game, after three or four years, they can be a professional fighter. How, what kind of training did you go through that differentiates yourself or puts you on the same page or on the same pedigree, I guess, of Yurushi Lacquer people from Japan who spend like 30 years mastering the art? I mean, I never understood what takes 30 years, but how is your training able to keep up with people like that? I didn't know that it takes 30 years or 10 years, mm -hmm. so I did it mm -hmm. in one, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you understand. I was yeah. not, uh, I was not uh, limited by some notion that it must take a lot of time. I was convinced mm -hmm. that it's possible to do it faster or uh, to, what can be so difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, it is difficult, and uh, I learned myself. I've taught myself. I had no teacher, no no mm -hmm. master I could learn from. In Japan, I would probably go to some school or find some some studio where I could learn stuff. And there are schools in Japan. There are schools which, from two years to four years, and you can learn a lot. It's it's a legend that it takes twenty or thirty years. Mm -hmm. uh, you can you can learn if you if you have. Uh, options like a studio near you and someone willing to teach you or a school with, which which concentrates on Urushi and there are such uh, art schools in Japan that concentrate on Urushi only mm -hmm. uh, you can learn much faster but I had mm -hmm. no, no, nothing like that I didn't even have some videos on YouTube so <laughs> so I had to make them and I decided I, it was my idea originally I thought mm -hmm. okay so if there is nothing on YouTube and I am learning it, I can as well show the process. Not the process mm -hmm. of Rushi, but the process of learning. And my early videos, early pictures on, on, my, on my Instagram and early videos on YouTube are about my, not about Rushi per se, but about my way, my, my Rushi Do. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, my, 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 my journey through Rushi and my process of learning. And I, I left some of them on purpose on my channel, uh, despite there are some very stupid things in them, because I didn't mm -hmm. know then 
a lot of stuff I know now. And most I, most of what I learned was like patching together very small pieces of information from numerous sources. So I mm -hmm. found some website about Sugaru Nuri and, and, and other techniques used in Aomori Prefecture, and I learned how they look like. And then mm -hmm. I found a video on Japan, which was like two hours long, but there were 15 second shot of guy sprinkling the rapeseed uh, on, on, on fresh urushi. And I, Spraying okay, what on the fresh urushi? Rapeseed. Rape like seeds of, 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 of the plant which you make oil, like canola oil, like canola oil is made from rapeseed. Oh, oh, Grapeseed, I see. Okay. Rapeseed, rape rapeseed, not grape. Rape rape seed. Seed. Oh, I never heard of that. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, Continue, I don't know it made from it. So it's a very small black balls of mm -hmm. and I saw the guy sprinkling this on the on the on the surface and I match those two things together. I know how Nanakonuri looks like when it's finished, finished. Mm -hmm. And I noticed the guy sprinkling this seed on uh, the wet urushi. Okay, mm -hmm. it, it must be this because it will look exactly this way if I if I follow it with two or three layers and send it, it will be this. And I tried mm -hmm. and it worked. Now, and this way I learned Nanakonuri. Yes, I, le I later, later developed it further. I learned, mm -hmm. uh, but not from someone, but from my own experience, that selecting the most uniform, the, the nicest seed uh, is best because they are most, all must be round and same size. But mm -hmm. those seeds like are one and a half to two millimeters in diameter, and they are all black. So sorting mm -hmm. those seeds requires some, some smart approach because mm -hmm. I, I might be a Cinderella and just pick the nicest ones or just build mm -hmm. a machine to do it for me. And mm -hmm. I build it. I build a special, like a very small uh, setup to, to sort the seeds of, of rapeseed. It goes very slow because it's very mm -hmm. manual still but I get much better results. And I learned how, how long to cure it. I need to cure it twice. Once, like drop the seed on the, on the wet lacquer, cure it, take it out, scrape them off and cure it again, because otherwise mm. it will go back. But I learned it on my mistakes. Uh, it was like in, in my several years of doing it, I made much more mistakes than nice pens. Mm. So I, I probably made like 400 pens altogether till now, maybe less, maybe three, but at least mm. 3,000 mistakes. And, and let me, let not me ask you, though, have you, have you experienced any resistance from other Yurushi makers from Japan who are more traditional, who feel maybe Absolutely that you're, no, no? were the, Absolutely there wasn't no. anybody who, well, that's excellent. That's Absolutely. good to hear. There are, like, there, are, there are two things. What, most mm -hmm. of them are not aware there are some crazy people in Europe doing Urushi and mm -hmm. in States. Just, uh, like Jonathan mm -hmm. Brooks does Urushi for like seven years already, maybe longer. Mm -hmm. uh, Martin Pauli um, uh, is in Urushi for many years, but he travels a lot to Japan and he knows Japanese and he imports stuff mm -hmm. from Japan and he's like a very into Japan. He, he would probably move from, from Switzerland to Japan if he could, I don't know. But he's almost half Japanese. <laughs> Uh, there are some other people in India, like uh, Vivek Kulkarni from Urushi Studio India, and we talk to each other. The Theodore from Czech Republic, and uh, uh, and Jan from 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 Belgium, and so on. There are several people in Europe 
Gurin Kurushi and in States. And we usually talk to each other and we, 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 we have a lot of respect to each other. And even mm. if, if one of us makes something better, we, we exchange ideas, we, we exchange tips and tricks and, and uh, we exchange the sources for Urushi and for new, new uh, discovered techniques or, or, mm. or additives. But as Japan is concerned, I know several artists and craftsmen in Japan and they are all very positive and they are very open and they are they say that they are like they are they are happy that uh, that there are people outside japan who who try to to to, to popularize their art mm. because from her point of view it's 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 their their national treasure not not mm. the art of urushi but it's very worth mentioning that urushi is not purely Jap it's not just japan there's mm. a very long tradition. Urushi actually ca came from China and don't believe mm. that it started in Japan. It's not true. Uh, even the Japanese sources, the, the, all the sources in Japan point to, to China at some point. Mm -hmm. from, Urushi comes from China and it was originally from China. But it's mm. used as, as art and craft in China, in Indonesia, in, in Vietnam. I know several fantastic artists in, in, artists in Vietnam. They use Urushi in super creative way uh, in Malaysia, in Korea uh, and in Japan, of course. So wow. it's, it's, not, yeah. it's not just Japan. Urushi in, in, in every of those countries, it might be named differently. Uh, oh, not, not okay. Urushi, it's like, not called Urushi. Urushi is Japanese, it's, it's Japanese name. Right. Uh, but, but it's same stuff and mm. they use it in a very similar way and they cure it in a very similar way and they use several similar additives like like eggshell for Rankaku uh, in, mm. in, in Vietnam and in Korea, it's, it's extensively used. Uh, really? The techniques like Kanshitsu, so, so building Urushi layers on paper or on uh, wood uh, structure like palm, uh, woven uh, objects. And uh, it's, it's in, Japan, in Indonesia and Malaysia and, and also in Vietnam. So, uh, Raden, I uh, have a uh, bowl from Indonesia, which is made of Urushi and shell, and it mm. would be considered Raden, but there's a, like a completely different proportions, but there's more shell in this, in this bowl than, than, than Urushi, but Urushi yeah. is used as, as bonding agent and uh, finishing agent. It's fascinating. Yeah, this, this, this stuff is used to, uh, in a huge part of Asia. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about Yurushi itself? Like, so I have some pens that have Yurushi on it. Some have mm -hmm. like five layers, some have seven layers. And my friend, Jonathan Lane, he used to work for Pilot Pens and he talked a lot about the Yurushi. Why, why is it that they would shoot like a, a pen brand, let's say platinum, because the Yurushi pen I have is a platinum Izomo. It has seven layers yep. of lacquer. Why is it that they chose seven? Is it stronger than five? Is it stronger than three? Are you sure? Does it... Are you sure it has seven? Because I'm not. That's 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 what the literature says. It's not the literature, but marketing materials of retailers. The original okay. websites in, in Japanese never, almost never mention number of layers. This number of layers okay. and the time which takes to make this pen, it appears when the materials leave Japan when someone translates them 
and uh, they usually appear only in English version, which is then translated to other languages. And for example, mm -hmm. in a, on a lot of platinum pens, which are uh, covered with Urushi, there is information about uh, several months which takes to make this pen. No, not true. Okay. It takes around four weeks in case of Platinum Izumo, maybe six. Now, mm -hmm. it's, it's impossible for someone, especially on an industrial scale, to make simple Tamenuri pen for longer than six weeks. It makes no sense. Tamenuri should not take more than four to six weeks in this situation, even less. Okay. Especially if it's what, seven what, days. What is, what makes it might be anything between five and 50. Okay. However, and it does not mean it's better or it's worse than it has five or seven or 10 or 15 or 25. Mm -hmm. Because it depends on technique. And if you decide that you prefer this color, this, this color you want to use, benefits mm -hmm. of thicker layer, you can apply less layers. And you can mm -hmm. apply two layers and they have a great color. But if it benefits from layering, from thinner layers and from layering different shades of the same color one over another to create something new, like on a Ferrari uh, lacquer, which is black, mm -hmm. then red, then transparent red, then transparent to create this deep, nice red. It's, mm -hmm. You can do the same with Rushi. You can lacquer the pen black, then you can lacquer it very thin red, then you can mm -hmm. lacquer it with very thin transparent red and then trans maybe not transparent but then finish it with gloss and it looks much better when than if you just use thread straight away i see and so, it, so it, it actually it enhances the, of the artist of the craft, craftsman so for so there are some pens in in my collection which are which looks very elaborate but it's it's like 15 layers only mm. and some of them look simple and it took me 35 layers to make them and it also depends what is counted as a layer. So for example, platinum and most of uh, makers, all of them actually, do not use traditional uh, primers. Like uh, it's, it's not true that they use full primer layers. So the fabric, the raw rushi, then the fabric, then the sabi mixture. So the, 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 the this uh, clay mixed with urushi, filling the grooves in the fabric and so on and so on, like on several videos on, from Japan on, on making bowls. Nobody uses this technique. The only technique used from on ebonite to harden it, to make a primal layer, is, is just simple layering of raw urushi, like wiping it in. And I know it for sure for, from artists who work for Sailor and Platinum and, and Nakaya. Mm -hmm. They never use this elaborate priming technique. It's not true. So it depends what layers you count. If you count all the base layers, for example, they rub three or four layers of raw urushi in the pen to, to just to make it harder. The, mm -hmm. the uh, ebonite is somehow elastic. So if you want to make the surface of ebonite even harder and, and smoother and more and seal it even better, uh, you rub raw urushi in several times and you cure it. And then you apply Nakanuri Urushi, so this medium layer. It, it can be just one layer, it can be two, it can be three. And especially on objects which are of very difficult shape, because it's a pen, mm -hmm. it's a part of the pen. It's a, like a cup of pen I'm working on right now uh, with the string roll, Tamenuri. 
So uh, if you work on something like this, uh, there those edges and those curvatures are extreme because on the bowl you will not find so many uh, curvatures and, and pointy mm -hmm. areas and, and edges and stuff like this. So it's very easy to oversand. So from my experience and from experience of much more uh, advanced people from Japan, it's normal that you oversand and you have to reapply the layer. And mm -hmm. do you count it for marketing guys that you used not seven, but nine or even 10 or not? Mm -hmm. So I do not believe Western marketing materials on Urushi because they straight lie. It's not true. Mm -hmm. And okay. it's not true on so, many levels. Right. And so it's you're the saying that they take of, uh, distributors. Distributors lie on purpose. Uh -huh. Because it makes it more cool to know that it, it took like seven months to make and it's like 50 layers of Urushi. No, uh -huh. it's not true. I see. So. You're saying that the literature that we have in the in the U.S. when it comes to marketing Yerushi pens is inaccurate, and they're using small technicalities to elaborate not, and make it seem more. They do not know the techniques. They do not know mm. the techniques. They do not. Uh, they are not really interested in them. And I, I like nips.com is a great shop and great website and a great history of, of, of popularizing mm -hmm. pens. But uh, mm -hmm. I found a lot of untrue information there because, well, the people are not interested in the, uh, the real story behind because it's Urushi is more, is bought 90% of Urushi pens or, or objects by, are bought by people who are just fascinated with Japan. And the more complicated it sounds, the better. And it is complicated. It is extremely difficult to make perfect mm. layer of Amenuri. But it's mm. not a matter of how many layers it took. But for layers on, on those pens I showed you, it took like two weeks to, to, to harden. Mm. And it was the most important part, it was to find the proper mixture of Urushi mm. and to experiment or, on many different pens before to, to find a mixture which will work on this pen, on, mm. which will like get me to the idea I have. Does it upset uh, you? Like no. when, when you it's, see like I, marketing material? I worked in marketing for 20 years. I know it. Mm -hmm. I, I was this guy. I was the guy who was like balancing on the edge of truth and, and, and straight lie just to mm -hmm. find some equilibrium and, and sell stuff. I was a mm -hmm. salesman and marketer. So I, mm -hmm. I know it and I know how it works. And it's not only this. It's exactly the same as precious resin. There's, hmm. it's plastic, it's fucking plastic, <laughs> not precious lesson. Yes, it's exactly right. the same. So that, that's like, why this like is building, what everybody building, watching, uh, this is what he's talking about right here. Yeah, like building the, the legend, building the story, if, if, even if it's not straight lying, but leaving some things for your imagination on purpose, mm -hmm. what it what marketers do and, and what I did for many years mm -hmm. uh, like in, implying some stuff like making an inception way which market like picks it picks it up and you can build on it it's cool it's mm -hmm. great it, it, it's what happened with with arcocelluloid arcocelluloid was one of many different celluloids in its time mm -hmm. it's, it's 
its 30s, 40s and 50s, it was like just one of many and it was not very successful. Mm. If you read to the like sales numbers and to, to the literature from this time, arcacelluloid was not a successful material. Mm -hmm. It was created again as a super successful material recently again. And by, by very smart guys in one company I don't like a lot, uh, who promoted it again and, and made it mm -hmm. desirable. And they, they did it in a very smart way, very modern and, mm -hmm. and complex way, but it, it worked. They're nice much thing. nicer Maybe... cellulite than, than Arco, much nicer. Arco, sure. <laughs> I want to ask you something else that I always was curious about. When it comes to durability of Yurushi, like... Yep. How, how durable is it to resist against like scratches or putting, like if I have a Yurushi pen in my pocket with coins in it, yeah. is it more durable than acrylic precious or celluloid? Yeah, or precious, re precious resin that this injection molded plastic, yeah. this is why the pen is a thousand dollars. But like how durable is it compared to acrylic or, or something else? Uh, at least as durable or, or, or better if it's done properly. Like good mm -hmm. quality um, Tamenuri uh, on Nakaya is super durable. I used okay. uh, my Decapod for two years as a EDC, uh, everyday carry. And mm -hmm. I sometimes just dropped it in my backpack and mm -hmm. it's flawless. It looks better than any of my Mont Blancs. Even mm. even the one with this elastic nip, I, I, it's the only Mont Blanc I bought new in the shop. I just mm. went to my local pen shop to support local pen shops and I bought a Mont Blanc. Ah, why not? Mm -hmm. But it, uh, it, it's, it, it looks not as good as, as the Decapod and not... I used, uh, I used the dorsal fin too, so very expensive pen. It's my, mm. it's my daily yeah. ride. It was on my table. It, I, I, I took it with me to cafes and I was using it all the time. And mm -hmm. when you use a pen a lot, when you use a pen sometimes and you, have, you carry like seven pens with you all the time and you use this one for the note taking and this one for something else, you, you put it in, you tend to put such nice pens to the kimonos or pen sleeves and stuff uh, and stuff mm -hmm. for protect them. But when you, you decide to, to have a one EDC for some time, just to train yourself with this pen. And I, I did it with Decapod. It was not with Decapod, mm -hmm. but with Dorsal. So with 1500, uh, 15, uh, $1,800 pen. Yeah, it is mm -hmm. pretty expensive pen. Uh, I use it every day and it's, it's flawless. It's, it has less scratches than, than some plastic or acrylic or other pens I mm. have. So okay. Yeah, that's what I was wondering because they some... cost a lot of money. And I want to make sure yeah. that like it's not going to like rub off or wear away or anything like that. And it's that's, that's comforting cheap. to know. It's easier to chip it if you drop it than to scratch oh. it. Because it's hard. Really? Urushi is hard. Urushi is... Around properly hardened uh, Roiro Urushi, like Roiro Migaki, so also the Tamenuri or single color, like a glossy, smooth Urushi is usually uh, very glossy, like, like, like mirror gloss Urushi. Uh, it's usually Roiro Migaki. It's almost for sure Roiro Migaki. It's very hard. It can reach mm. up to four and a half on the Morse scale, so close to like mm. typical 
window glass, for example. Mm, not not really hardened glass, but uh, window glass you have, it's, it's, it's pretty resistant to scratches, isn't it? It mm. is. It's much more resistant to scratches than acrylic. So Rushi mm. is more or less the same hardness. But oh, it means great. that it's much easier. It's easier to chip it. So if you, if you drop it, the microchips can appear. But uh, well, it's, it's how it works. Yeah, but you cannot it. So it, it easily. Yeah, it's kind of like an iPhone screen. It's like really high yes. scratch resistance, but if you drop it, it shatters like an eggshell. Uh, so. it, Rushi it will not shatter because it, it's, mm. it still has some elasticity. It's not oh. so brittle. It can chip. Gotcha. Uh, but it's it's not easy to to destroy a Rushi pen by accident mm. for just like only where uh, keeping it in your with, with coins in your pocket or or dropping mm. it from the table. It happens I with see. any pen. If you drop a a celluloid pen, it can break. If you drop a Mont Blanc from any period of production, it will break. Right. Or or get scratches, well, or the, or it will drop directly to this beautiful star or snow cup, whatever it is. <laughs> it will get scratched. What about Tom? You wanted to say something about UV yeah. or or exposure to sunlight. Yes, mm. and it's the only thing which I think uh, UV and extended the, um, immersion in water. Uh, oh, we should avoid water! Because... Really. Water is not a problem with Urushi, but if you, for example, uh, if, if, you, if your nib gets clogged and you decide to mm -hmm. drop whole section to the to water and you forget about it and when you will, you will go for a week holiday and come back, oh. there might be a problem with that. That's like, like well, soaking for an hour is okay because oh, Urushi okay. is water resistant, but soaking it for several days right. might starts to weaken, uh, maybe not the surface, but the, the water can get between Urushi and, uh, and the substrate somehow through oh. some, some areas which are not covered uh, like perfectly around. You're right. So, I mean, it, water, to this. Wa water is the most powerful force in the world. So we can soak it for maybe an hour or two, but yeah, don't no leave problem. it for days and days. Yes, yes, right? absolutely. All right. And well, the listen. other thing is, uh, is UV light and... Mm. Uh, Yes, UV light will deteriorate Urushi over time, but it's not a fast process. Okay, so it's what kind of period of time, of time are we talking about? I experimented some uh, with some of my pens, like test pens. I left it, I let them on a window uh, shelf, like on the window. And uh, after a month, I started noticing some problems, which would not be noticed by not expert. Like slight okay. discoloration, which could be considered on Tamanuri as made on purpose. Oh. But probably after two or three months of more exposure, it would be a problem. But it really depends on the, on the type of Urushi. For now, example, is the problem exclusively really... discoloration or is it going to deteriorate, like no. come off? It will, it will deteriorate. It will not come off. It will, be, it will start to be porous. And if oh, you okay. check surface of such pen under the microscope and for example there are no very nice examples of vintage urushi pens and first urushi pens which came to europe uh, and then to the united states were dunhill namiki like dunhill which still um, they make uh, a lot of different stuff but also pens they used to make pens with uh, cooperation with with uh, namiki 
in 20s, in 20s okay. and in 30s. And they made beautiful Makia pens and a lot of those pens have uh, the, the final layer and a lot of colors in, 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 in uh, Makia and sometimes even the base layers have deteriorated to, to some extent, mostly mm -hmm. on pens which were exposed to UV light but also oh, okay. to extreme changes of the temperature, for example. And it's not because of Urushi, but because of ebonite, which is underside. Because ebonite expands oh. and contracts with temperature. And uh, mm. if you have something stiff and hard over something which expands and contracts, at some point, eventually, it will start to break and, and, and let the water through and uh, it will it will go on i i got one of those pens to to renovation and it went pretty well uh, it's impossible to if you want to keep it original and do not change anything it's 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 you can just only like fill the all the cracks and uh, all the um, discoloration with uh, with special mix of raw very high quality raw urushi and turpentine and and let it soak in and then polish it that's it it takes a lot of time but it's worth it to fix such things so what what do you think is the best base material to use with yurushi uh on pants ebonite no yeah. questions asked ebonite but even general, though ebonite has more of that expansion and contraction wood has, wood has more because wood cons oh. uh, contracts and expands not only with uh, temperature but also with uh, humidity and if you will not protect wood from humidity completely, so inside also, it will expand and contract much more due to changes in humidity than, than just the temperature. Ebonite is only works with temperature and it's a very slight change, but mm. still it's there. And after 100 years and most Namiki, downhill Namiki pens are 100 years old, it creates problems, but not sooner. Mm. Uh, there are not many celluloid pens which survived uh, 100 years and much more Yoroshi pens which survived 100 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would bet on ebonite. Uh, I do not like working on any resins, uh, be it acrylic or, or, or uh, those plastics from, from uh, like in injection molded plastics, but it's possible, it can be done. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated, but I just don't like it. You just mm -hmm. sand it and you prime it with several layers and you, you, you follow just exactly as with Ebonite, but I just don't like it. It's not your preference. Well, right, listen, I think. I, think, I think that I've learned a lot from this episode of the podcast. Uh, and I really appreciate you coming. We're going to have to start wrapping it up. But my biggest takeaway yep. from this whole episode was I feel like you have exposed a lot of romanticism with regard to Yurushi in terms of other brands saying there's 25 layers or this, that, and the other thing. And I never actually considered that. I'm definitely going to I have an exam coming up August 16th, but after that, I'm going to look into that more because I think it's a very interesting thing. Like people who don't know about Mont Blanc will think that precious resin is expensive plastic. People who don't know about Yurushi will, like me, will think that all the marketing is romantic, traditional information. And you're saying that it's not because you have an expertise in Yurushi. And I think this gives me an very interesting angle to look into because I like to look into these things it's once worse. I'm done studying. Actually, it's worse. 
The problem yeah. is it's worse because like 90% of uh, lower, maybe not lower end, but base uh, Maki pens from Namiki are not handmade. They are screen printed and finished by hand. Yes, yes, I know that. That I, already, yeah, that I already know. It's nothing wrong with screen printing. Nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. But screen printing with with minuscule amount of any manual work signed by the artist and attributed to the Kokokai group of artists is bullshit. Mm. Sorry. And it this bullshit goes everywhere in every industry. And, right. Uh, and it, it like pen industry is like a, like a dream for bullshit marketers. Mm. It is. Let's face it. It is like flexible nibs. Like, like there's a very huge interest in flexible nibs at some point. And a lot of companies right. jumped in the bandwagon trying to sell some steel crap as flexible nib for like mm. some dollars more. And there are a lot of different stories about different materials and, and the, the, some of them are brought to the cult status for some reason. I don't know. I, I sometimes, sometimes don't know. And some of them are genuine. Uh, like gems, like for example, the the the, the series of, of of primary manipulation resins from from Jonathan uh, were very cool. But at some moment, when I noticed that I I see seventeenth limited edition of Leonardo in another primary manipulation, and all the companies I know have made the primary manipulation resin limited edition, it's it's sorry, it's too much. It's it's nothing romantic about something which which jumps from the fridge if you if you if you look inside so mm. uh, and, and there is much more interesting things in Urushi and in Japanese art uh, to talk about in marketing than those guys really do and they go some simple some easy way uh, mm -hmm. but the master of bullshitting is another company which was made on a of comp uh, podcast of of, of uh, the Japanese podcast, the Tokyo Station, uh, and uh, and 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 the uh, how is it called? Tokyo, Tokyo, no. Inklings is it that one? Yes, Tokyo, yes, Tokyo that Inklings. one. They talk yeah. about Wonder, and Wonder, Wonder is also the masters of of, of marketing bullshitting, and mm. they they went even farther. But I just let you do your digging yourself if you want. Mm. <laughs> so no, but uh, you know what the thing is though. We, I really we appreciate. Also do it. Uh, we also do it like like the craftsmen who make pens. Uh, right. Some I, I will I will confess something. Some beautiful pens I make, I make, I made them. Some of them, I made them by accident. So I was completely com something completely different in mind. I tried to achieve something, but it didn't work. But it I ended up with something completely different but beautiful for some mm. reason. So isn't, that how, isn't that how art, well, uh, some of the greatest art in history? Probably yes, anyway? but I sometimes feel bad about this. So oh, maybe not no, you bad. Don't feel bad but, about but it. I, I, I have an imposter syndrome. I'm a, I'm a mm. forty-something guy from Poland who is not an engineer, not an artist. Uh, I started Rushi several years ago. I I learned it extremely fast. I I I I know it pretty well because I sold several pens to Japan, and they were obviously. Bought to be examined, and I got some very good feedback back from Japan on my pants. So I'm proud of what I do, but I have an imposter syndrome because how 
it's fucking possible that I'm I, I'm a guy from Warsaw who, who makes Rushi pants. How? Mm-hmm. I well, listen. That's There's that's no one that's doing a... Rushi like in one thousand kilometers radius from here. Right. But the thing is, though, that's one of those barriers that you're breaking down. Remember, we were talking about language and you have to, you, you know, you break down barriers and then you become more fluent yeah. and stuff like that. Well, this is one of those barriers too. like the, the whatever it is that you learned, you broke down your own personal barrier and you achieved a level of fluency with this stuff to the point where you can actually sit on my show and call out bullshit, which just so you know, whenever someone calls out bullshit, I love it. I love it a lot. And I think that what I really want to do is I want to have an episode where the three of us sit down again and we, before we get on the show, we write down every piece of bullshit we can think about and call everything out at once. I think that'll maybe, be a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe it could be fun, but could be, well, it's, it's, I have a lot of respect for artists from different companies mm-hmm. and like putting, uh, some like putting some shame, calling the bullshit for, uh, on marketing materials. It's it's not mm-hmm. a, always a good idea because we don't really know where the bullshit comes from. Comes from right, uh, sure. Because then you don't want to put the blame on Japan, one person. Mm-hmm. It very often comes from distributors. And mm-hmm. is it a general distributor responsible from United States and Americas? And is it a distributor responsible for 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 Europe? I don't know where it started, and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I tracked down some misinformation and some exaggeration in description of, of, of uh, Urushi pants, and not only Urushi pants, because this, 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 this uh, precious resin is just stupid translation from German, uh, Edelhardt, mm-hmm. I think. Yes, it was, it was just... Uh, uh, it was it was stupid translation. Someone translated it and thought guys in in marketing department translating it said, "Oh, God, it sounds cool, precious resin. Let's go with it." And it was. So the the information it, it, that it, I have it, is in German. Edelherz means literally translated. If you translate it literally, it means yeah. precious resin. But if you translate it idiomatically, it means, it means exclusive, exclusive yes. resin, right? Uh, it's it's even probably more complicated. Mm. Uh, 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 hmm. But listen, like Edel, I said, Edel word is used I for think... a lot of different. Uh, it's it's a part of a lot of different words. You can have a marzipan, which is Edel marzipan. Just, just it's just mm-hmm. true. Just just just. It's 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 not obvious how to pr- translate it. But anyway, right? It's, it's there's it's different lost. idioms sometimes, in German. Sometimes it's lost in translation, and sometimes it's. Yeah. Uh, deception on purpose and sometimes it's balancing on the marketing edge of telling some exciting story and building a legend and building the fascination of people with Urushi, which is cool and 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 that's why i got interested with it and being a bullshitter and it's very difficult balance because it's sometimes mm-hmm. just one step and you 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 go too far well, I do agree that there is probably lots of bullshit when it comes to marketing. I mean, you see it all the time in every industry. At the same time, I think that there is some level of accountability in particular. And I'm yeah. only speaking in the U.S. because if a marketing material says that it has 23 carats of palladium and it only had 22, Absolutely. then Absolutely. then you have legalities that they have to answer there for. Some, but at the same time, I like I said, yeah. I do agree that there is lots of bullshit. 
with there are some areas market. which are regulated and mm -hmm. uh, like jewelry and 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 precious metals are regulated and some are unregulated and some are regulated by in a way that are even more disinformative uh, as if they were not regulated and if for example yeah. there are some some food labels are really strange they should be informative Terrible. and they are not yes uh, and they are sometimes not on purpose they are they are trying to make you not understand them because it would be bad if you could understand them so yeah it's worth but it's it's really fascinating and i think it would be worth to do something about something more than just uh, bullshit because it would be more interesting yeah well, just so you know, if you're ever looking at food ingredients, and I'm going to say this and then I have to wrap up the show because it's getting late, but if if you look at a, a sugar-free sugar, yeah, the sugar-free stuff and you see in the ingredients that there's no sugar, great, but it has maltodextrin or dextrose, exactly. those two are a thousand times it's, worse than yes. sugar. And and they are broken down to glucose in like few seconds after like taking them into your mouth. Like they are broken and, instantly to glucose. Yeah, but and they have super the easily broken down to, to see yes. Tom. Yeah, the man knows. Yeah. The man knows. And as a matter of fact, it's not only broken down so quickly; it actually has ten times more potency on your pancreas, increasing your insulin way more than I actual know. sugar. It's so terrible. Oh, so that's more bullshit that that this gentleman but, is talking well, about. Let's 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 talk pants. Uh, like concentrate mm -hmm. on pants and stuff around them because it would be get too. I would could I could be too excited. What important thing? What learned? What Urushi teaches most? And it's the most important thing I brought from Urushi. Uh, I I I changed my career completely. It's cool. I, I, I do not sit a lot at the computer and, and no, no meetings, no suit. I hate, I, I'm fed up with suits and I will not wear suits for a long time after this. And it's my only, only business. My only, my only income is, is, is mm. pants. But much more important is patience and peace of mind because mm. it's like a meditation. I sp sometimes spend hours like sending one pen or some putting 700 pieces of radon on a, like a cup of the pen. It's like a meditation. You need to, to be in a meditative state to, to, to just to, to be able to do this. And mm -hmm. I do not need to meditate anymore. I do yoga because I sit a lot. So I need yoga a lot because of my, my back, back aches and so on. But the, the peace of mind and, 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 and uh, patience, a lot of patience. I was super impatient. I was like a very short, uh, I, I don't know how to say it in English, but I was like e easily co combustive uh, before that. And now I'm much more, yeah, short fuse, exactly. I had very short fuse. Now it's completely different. I see. Now, let's, let's wrap up for the third time. It's for the third time wrapping up. Uh, Michal Kulka, thank you so much yeah. for being on the show. We had a fantastic time. Make sure everybody listening, you check out Michal Kulka's Tanamori Studios at tanamoristudio.com. No, just tamanuri.com. Tamanuri.com. Tamanuri, excuse me, that's right. Tamanuri.com, T-A-M-E-N-U-R-I.com. You can find him on Instagram at, same thing. 
Tamanuri, right? Tamanuri Studio. Tamanuri underscore Studio. Right. You can't miss it. It's a fantastic website. Take a look at his gorgeous pens. He has a whole bunch of them. I love everything that I see on this. And their prices are all in euros on his website. I think there's a way to switch it, right? No. Uh, no. Price, it's not a shop, actually. You can't buy directly. You have to contact me because there are too many different options with nips mm. and uh, sometimes with uh, like kimono and drops. I decided not to have a shop. I, each pen is just only one in one piece. So I didn't okay. want to risk that someone buys something which is not available anymore because someone bought I it see. at my studio. And I cannot remake the same pen again. So, so I decided that to keep it just one channel. You have to contact me. You have to write to okay. me on Instagram, on, on, on Messenger, on WhatsApp, or, or, uh, or email me to buy a pen. Uh, you can, of course, pay with anything you want, from PayPal to, 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 to wire transfer and WISE and Revolut and so on. It, it doesn't matter. You, I, you just have to talk to me because it's the most important part of, of me being in this business is talking to people still. Mm-hmm. Because I need to, I really want to those pen to go to people who will appreciate them, who who know what they are buying. I hate selling my pens to first-time Urushi buyers or for gifts and presents for someone who is not using fountain pens, for example. Mm, I see. Someone comes to I me see. and okay. says, "Oh, I don't use fountain pens. Can I? If you think, do you think I can buy your pen? I, I no. I just just don't. Please don't go go buy a Mont Blanc if you have a lot of money." And if you still love it after several weeks, months, whatever, come to back to me and I will send a sell, sell the pen. Because I like it. It's, it's the, the, the most exciting part and the most pleasurable part is to receive a letter from a customer written with my pen, like a, mm. like a snail mail letter. It's, it's absolutely fantastic feeling. And I have never felt it in any job, any work I did before. Like something which is palpable, people get it and use it mm-hmm. and are happy with it. And they, they, they go so far to write a letter back to me. It's, it happens from time to time. It's not, it's not that everyone does it, but mm-hmm. it happens from time to time and it's absolutely fantastic. It's worth it. That's everything. fantastic. I understand that feeling. I feel the same way towards my listeners. And speaking of my listeners, thanks again for listening. I love you guys. Be well. Be safe. Stay inky. Thank you, guys. 